Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now. From the dirt tracks across Australia, welcome to Inside Speedway with Dennis Newman and Craig Ravel. And Dennis, well, Andrew Shirley joining us. He's the, what do you call it, the outgoing Australian champion after uh, Jamie Veal took that title away from him down in Tassie earlier this year. Yes. Yep, that, that's exactly right. Andrew Shirley is uh, a, a very, very decent man, a very good driver and a man with great experience over the years. And it's great to have him on the show. He's, um, he's experienced a lot in his racing years. And um, uh, as I say, he's one of the few people, uh, not only is he a good bloke, but, but he's actually uh, capable of getting some good corporate backing as well. And um, he's got a lot of things to say, which um, and and all positive things about the sport, sprint car racing, his career, and um, uh, he, he's a good advertisement for Queensland and Australian sprint car racing. Mm. Well, first to some good news now for Sydney Speedway fans. Yes, uh, we're not hearing overly a lot, I might add, about uh, the new proposed track out at Eastern Creek. But um, a couple of news source people, news sources, whatever heading you want to put them under, that that I'm relatively close to through Metro West, uh, who do uh, have a bit of a hands-on involvement with the proposed new venue. Uh, from what I've learned, and this is only today, as a matter of fact, they're now looking at a proposed starting time for construction around late September. Uh, now, I hasten to add, Craig, this is, I guess, it's not official official, but it's pretty close. And uh, as the schedule goes, unless there's any change or whatever happens, uh, that's what they're looking at. And would you believe they've even gone so far as to look for a possible good, like where to source some very good clay for the racetrack, for the car people. They are going to build a bike track as well. But what we do understand is this is full speed ahead. Some people are saying we don't know whether it's going to go ahead as per schedule with the coronavirus and the world's changed so dramatically. Well, I can tell you on the information I have received today, yes, it is still going ahead. And, yes, they're now looking at um, probably... I would think a probably time span of six months, seven months to build the venue. They're, they're sticking to what they said originally. They'd have it ready so that when Valvoline Raceway at the end of next financial year, June 30, 2021, closed its gates and that was the end of the year, there would be another track virtually ready to move into. So they're, they're so far, all I can say is so far, and that's the important terminology here, sticking to their word and their commitment to build a replacement venue. Well, when they start talking about, you know, starting time for construction and, and tenders to build it, the actual building of the track, that's getting pretty serious. Yeah, and uh, obviously 
they have to go down and deep dive into some of the uh, the finer details of the racetrack as well. So that's the sort of thing that I believe they're starting to research now. Oh, they are. There's there's a fair look. I, I can tell you, there's a fair bit going on behind the scenes, and um, I I know that um, this not only involves the car sections but the bike sections as well. Um, Speedway Australia, Motorcycling Australia. Um, there, there's there's a few people uh, involved in all of this, and and they do have a steering committee now organised, and. Um, the, the engineering company that will be doing most of the construction has been consulted as well. So things are moving, Craig. It's not standing still. Mm, well, that's great news. Coming up uh, at the end of the show, after we speak with Andrew Shirley, we do have some words from the CEO of the ARDC about how they've been consulted in the process of putting the speedway out in that Eastern Creek precinct so something to stick around for after we hear from andrew shirley who's up next inside speedway is available on sportsradio.com.au itunes spotify and the dirt track channel.com andrew welcome to the show great to have you on board and um andrew i guess over the years you've you've um risen to the status of a national champion and and a great honor but with that, does that career highlight, did it put any extra pressure on you as a driver because you had number one on the tail of the car? No, not really, mate. I mean, it doesn't matter what race meeting we go to. We're, we're always going there to win races. And, and, I mean, I guess there's a certain expectation when you have the one on the car. And um, But it was just it was a pleasure to have it, mate. And, you know, those expectations that come along with it are just part and parcel of it and you wouldn't change it for the world. You had been chasing uh, national title honours for quite some time over the years. Um, What kind of uh, satisfaction did it bring? Um, Where did your career go to after that? Did you feel that, well, that's now obviously the highlight? Do you want to win it a second, a third, a fourth time? Or were you just happy with your lot? You got to number one. Oh, mate, just happy. I mean, obviously, it's, it's, I'm getting later in my career now than I am. You know, it's, it's a shorter at the end now. So, mate, I'm just glad to say I've won it at least once. And, you know, if it all finished tomorrow, you know, it's not a bad resume to have. We've won, you know, a World Series around that. We've multiple state titles and club championships. So, um, you know, if I keep racing, mate, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously go and try and grab another one somewhere on the line. But like I say, if it all ended tomorrow, I'm pretty pretty content with where what we've won and what we've done on the sport. And you have every reason to be, let me tell you, Andrew. I can remember in the years when uh, when I used to run Speedway Racing News, we did a few feature stories on you. And, uh, yes, your career has been magnificent, no question of that. Where and when did it all start for you, Andrew? Mate, it was about 26 years ago we did our first spring car race now. So, and we first started with Dad and myself. Got a, we bought a second-hand car from Sid Moore down at CRD back in those days in Sydney and um, and got ourselves an open-air trailer. And that's how it started a long, long time ago, mate. And it's just gone from there. And I've been fortunate enough to have good sponsors in Lucas Oil back in the day that helped me run the team, um, my own team. And then when that was lasted, I think, about 12 years, and then, um, and then when we parted ways with them, John Weatherall bought my race team, and I drove the Inver about four or five. And um, and then I've been with Offset Racing for the last 
12 years, I think. So, yeah, being driven for myself a lot of the time and then being fortunate enough to have car owners for the last sort of 16 years. I also must commend you too, Andrew. You just touched on it there about some of your major sponsors. You've been able to lock into some pretty impressive corporate backers. Um, that's a, that's a great tr- credit to your team and professionalism to, to get these people on board. And I know how hard you work at that and when you get them, how you service them so well with exposure and it's all part of being a professional sprint car driver in the year 2020, I guess, Andrew. Yeah, it is, mate. I mean, gone are the days where you just need to be fast on the racetrack. There's a, you know what I mean? If you could service the sponsors right and look after them, and, and it's about a relationship and a partnership in what, you know, what, what they expect out of the race team and what we expect out of them. So it, um, as long as you service that, mate, it's, um, you usually can build some really good relationships there. And, and I've been fortunate enough that, uh, you know, whether it be Lucas or the Rostec patios and roofing, you know, we've, we've been able to build a partnership there that's lasted a long time. And, um, and there's probably not a lot of teams in Australia that can say they've been able to do that. So I'm pretty proud of that. Now through this COVID-19 situation, uh, racing's come to a stop, but what about Ausdeck? Mate, no, we're powering along as far as Ausdeck as a company goes. We're fortunate enough that we're in a bit of a niche market there that we haven't, we haven't, um, it has been good for us and we haven't seen too many sales drop, so which is good. So, you know, we don't, obviously don't know what's ahead of us over the next few months because that um, COVID thing's obviously constantly evolving and they're starting to relax some of the laws and that right now. But, um, and hopefully that it won't poke its head back up again and we can keep trucking through this. So, so touch wood, mate, we haven't been affected too badly and trucking along. Mm. Now, you haven't been afraid to lend your car. I noticed that uh, you must have struck up a relationship at some stage with Shane Van Gisbergen because he was out there in your car at, what was it, Archerfield? Yeah, that's right. We've had Russell Engel, he's an ambassador of Ostec there, and, and and he obviously knows all the supercar drivers through through his career and that, and that they wanted to do a story with Channel 10 and RPM and that, and we, so we got involved in it with good marketing and PR, like Dennis touched there before in the interview about looking after the partners and sponsors and that and it was just a good way to obviously get all their sponsors and partners on board and, and get them some airtime and put Shane in the car and it was a cool experience to have Shane and come out there and sort of teach him what I know so it's not every day you get you know a chance then like Shane to come out and be able to hop in the race car and, and have a go of it and see what he thinks. Were you surprised of his um were you surprised of his speedway knowledge? Because he, he is a huge fan and he when he's home in New Zealand, he's out at the Springs watching races. Yeah, mate, he was a, he was a champion. He thoroughly enjoyed the day and got around there pretty good. And, um, and, yeah, he had a fair bit of knowledge and knew what he was going. I think when you're at that level, too, um, he... He's across all motorsports. There's not one single thing that he sort of he likes, and and he, and he had a good knowledge of it, and obviously has good throttle control and that. He was pretty impressive by the end of the day once we got him some laps. Now, Andrew, when you came into sprint car racing, the scene was probably well, it was different to today's sprint car scene. What are the significant changes you've noticed in Australian sprint car racing over your years involved in the sport, mate? I guess just the just the professionalism of the race teams, like, you know, there's a lot of things changed back in the day. I remember we started with an open-air trailer, then went to an enclosed trailer, and probably, oh, it would have been, you know, 18 years ago now, probably we built a, a body truck with a fairly nice pan tech on the back of it. And I remember when we rolled into the pits of that, it was, you know, everyone come and looked at it. It was like, 
you know, it was the bee's knee at that stage, you know. And But, I mean, if you rolled into the pits with one of them now, it's kind of regarded as an open-air trailer. Or the sport's come so far now with the big transporters and the, the full-time people and, and crew guys. And it's um, it's just like everything, mate. It's evolved over the years. And, and everyone has access to good equipment now and good motors. Um, so everyone's kind of got the same gear. So it just comes down to what the driver can do with it and the crew that you got behind you. Because everyone has got the same gear now, I mean, the advent of 410 sprint car engines, uh, that, that uniformity with the rest of the sprint car world, particularly the United States of America, brought everyone into line very closely. How much tougher is the competition now uh, compared to when you first started, um, Andrew? Mate, I guess it's, it's tougher from the point of view that there's, a lot of the young guys that come into the sport now, they've, they've, they've hopped straight into good equipment and good teams. Like back in the day, you know what I mean? You made good with what you had type thing, but you can go to the race meetings now and, you know, the guys that are racing in C main have got good enough cars that could be winning A main. So I guess the, it's been a fairly evening of the, the equipment now. So there's a lot of good, there's a lot of, and it's just easy access. So it's easy for a new person to come into the sport and build a race car that's as good as, you know, James McFadden's car or whoever. So I guess from that point of view, it makes it difficult. But then once we get, you know, and it's mainly early in the night, once you get to the late of the night that flickens off, um, then that's the difference between the, the blokes that know what they're doing. And it really doesn't matter how good of a car you you got once the track slows down. It's what you you know what you can do with it that makes the difference. And I guess when I was a young fella, I used to love those wet hooked up racetracks where you just go out there and mash the throttle and, and hang on. But now as I've got a bit older, I like those slow slick racetracks because that kind of sorts out the guys that know what they're doing to the ones that don't know what they're doing. You since twenty uh, when did the record start here? About twenty twelve. You've had thirty three victories, and your next best position is actually second place with 26. It's not a bad strike rate in when you consider just how many times you've gone out in a feature race and won. Yeah, we've been fortunate. Very for, I've been very fortunate to have a good race team around me over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And, it's, um, and I guess you're only as good as the crew and the people you have around you. And like I say, we've just been very fortunate and blessed with that side of it to have a very good race team. And, um, and I guess if I do my job properly, it all comes together and, and you can put some runs on the boards like that. So, yeah, it's a, like I say, if it all finished tomorrow, I'm pretty proud of the staff I have and, and what we've achieved in the sport. What is it about Cairns and uh, Bundaberg that virtually means you win the race if you turn up there? I guess they're just two tracks that, that I like. You know, even when we had the New South Wales guys and that back in the day come to Bundaberg and that it was um, – it was just probably Bundaberg in a payday was probably one of my favourite racetracks. It was slightly bigger than it was a big quarter mile and um and pretty fast up there and it was just it was just a track that I took to really well and Keynes is kind of a bank more of a bank little bowl and I enjoyed being up there as well. So I, I guess just over the years you have tracks that you seem to run good at and have a little bit of luck there and that doesn't hurt and then, and you put wings on the board. Andrew, there's been a lot of innovation safety-wise, um, the, the sport of sprint car racing, um, and, and it's improved out of sight. What is, in your opinion, the one significant safety innovation ahead of anything else that's been introduced over the last 25 years in sprint car racing? Oh, you'd have to say the full containment seat. You know, I remember when I started, 
you know, we were, you most of, you were nearly sitting on an air crate type thing. You know, there was nothing around you. But, you know, and we had a couple of little horns that went around your ribs there to try and keep you in the seat. And that was about it. And now, you know, you've got the latest carbon fibre seats and the latest butler-built seats. They're, they're full containment with the head protection and that. So it's... um. You know, once you've once you've built it in there, there's not a lot of room to move. So I'd have to say the seats have been the biggest improvement, along with the harness device. You know, when we first started 25 years ago, we had this foam neck brace. We used to run around with a Velcro, <laughs> which probably didn't really do that much at all. When you see what's available today, so those two key things there have been uh, uh, had a big impact on sprint car racing and motorsport in general. Who is the best sprint car competitor you have raced against, and why? It, it, you'd have to say Donnie Shot. You know, he comes to Brisbane every every year type thing now and has for the last, I don't know, 10 years or whatever it's been. And just, um, mate, and I've got pretty good friends with him. And he's just an exceptional, he has the exceptional ability to know the race car inside out and be able to see what everyone's doing on the racetrack. And, and he's kind of nearly two corners in front of the race car all the time. And I just, you know, and, and anyone obviously has seen him race, he understands what I'm talking about. He's just, he's kind of something that sprint car racing, I think, will struggle to ever see someone as good as what he is for a long time anyway, put it that way. But, yeah, just an exceptional ability in the race car. Now, Andrew, the you mentioned earlier about competing in World Series sprint cars, and it's been often mooted and discussed um, and I think I'm probably pretty aware of or, or know what your answer probably will be, but how do you feel um, about a national series like World Series Sprint Cars actually contributing to crowning the national champion over a series of races rather than a one-off Australian Sprint Car Championship race? Oh, mate, to be honest, probably the Australian title should be decided over a multiple-round thing because it's, you know, I'm sure there's been many Australian titles lost where bloke leading by half a lap and gets a flat tyre. Well, you know what I mean? He was still the best on the night, but he didn't win the Australian title, did he? Whereas, you know, I've always been a fan of championships like that to pick. And I've never been someone that would be able to go and pick and choose and not actually compete for a championship across the season because it kind of seemed like you get to the end of it and you haven't really done anything but maybe you won a race here and there where when you've competed for a championship and you've won it, you've genuinely been the best bloke for the whole season, it's not just, you know what I mean, you might have a few bad nights here or there, but the blokes that's the most consistent usually will win that championship. I mean, we've won championships in Queensland here where I, there was one particular season we didn't win a race all year and I still won the championship because we were just there second, third, fourth constantly and never made any mistakes. And although we didn't win, we still won the championship. So, oh, mate, there's no perfect answer to that. You could, you could take it two different ways, but probably someone that's been consistent enough to outpoint everyone over a whole season is a fairly deserved champion. By your answer, I, I would imagine then that you, you don't mind Americans competing if it was an Australian championship, which has been a no-no in more recent history. I mean, going right back to the Soup Modified days, Americans competed in, in the Australian Soup Modified Championship. So what's your take? Um, if it was a one-off, do you want Americans in it or a series? Obviously, you probably wouldn't mind Americans in the series. Probably a series. I wouldn't mind the Americans. The one-off, uh, yeah, and once again, there's no perfect answer for this either. But I guess the one-off nights like an Australian title as it sits right now, it's 
my argument to have probably haven't let the Americans come in and run like a one-off weekend is the fact that that. You know, like you talk to take Donny Shots, for instance, he does 100 races a year and Andrew Shirley does 30. And he's the first to admit if he didn't come out here and beat us nine times out of 10, you know, there'd be something wrong because I sell roof for a living and he drives a sprint car for a living. You know what I mean? So I guess from that point of view, being the Australian title and it's a pretty prestigious event, you know, I guess only having the Australian, I agree with probably only having the Australians run for it when it's a one off night like that where over a championship, he could have a lot of bad nights for whatever reason and still the Australians would still have a chance of beating him but like on a one-off night when Donny gets it right, like I think he's lapped the field at the Australian Open there he lapped up the third place one year and the rest of us four times in a 50 lap race you know what I mean, so it's I see the argument before and against, so there's really no perfect combination for that Andrew, you're you're driving you know, you're, you're, you're still an active competitor, a very competitive competitor. How many years do you see yourself competing in, in the sport? Oh, mate, it's getting close to the end. I've got my little fellow Oscar starting to race go-karts now on that. And um, and like I say, I've done it for 26 years now. And and if it all finished tomorrow, I've had a pretty good innings. And, and, um, and you know, sooner or later, those young blokes are going to get faster and faster. And I've never wanted to be someone that's just there making numbers. If we can't roll into the racetrack now and we've got a chance of winning a race or running a top five, to me, that's, you know, if I can't do that, it's not fun. And I'd sooner not be there. So, and we're still competitive at the moment. So I can see that I at least got another season or two left in me. But that depends on what happens with race teams and, and who's there and who's what's available. So, We'll um, we'll watch this space and see what happens. I guess there's a great adage here, Andrew. Whilst ever you are enjoying it, um, just just keep racing. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right, mate. Like the day I sit in the race car and kind of you know question whether I should be there or you know that's I guess the time to hang your helmet up and sort of well, I haven't got to that stage yet. So, um, but I can promise you it won't be far away. I'm not going to be someone that's going to be 60 years old still racing a sprint car, you know what I mean? Like I'm 45 now, so I've only got another couple of seasons left in me and, and I'll be happy to hang the helmet up and be content with whatever I chose. You've now got kids racing. Have you yep. found that their achievements have been every bit as proud as what you have been about your own? Definitely, mate. Like, like Oscar's literally only just started. Like, we haven't had him to a race meeting yet. He's only just turned seven. And um, we've been practising with him. And it's been fun to go to the track and see his lap times and prove and that. And um, and I guess just a proud dad, mate. It was like the Australian title. Oscar sung the national anthem. And um, and we joked at the end. I joked at the start of the night with Wade Onger, actually. And Wade said, oh, after the anthem was over, he asked me about it. And I said, hopefully we'll be standing up here at the end of the night having another chat, Wade. And and um and it was just one of those nights. It was a perfect night, and 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 Oscar and I ended up back up on the podium on the race car with the with the trophy in the hand. So yeah, it's a very proud dad of Oscar and Aviana. She's doing good things too. So it's um, but they're both getting to the stage now where they're taking up a little bit more of my time. So it's cool to be involved in what they're doing. Well, whatever time you want to continue racing on, how many more seasons you choose to run, Andrew, I wish you continued safety and success, and, and thanks for joining us on tonight's program. It's great to talk to you. No drama. Thanks for your time. Andrew Shirley there, uh, as you said, a real gentleman and uh, also some fascinating insight into how he views the world of sprint car racing and speedway in Australia in 2020. Uh, Dennis, 
interesting at the top of the show, we spoke about the Sydney Speedway and Tony Whitlock and myself on Inside Supercars had a chance to speak to Glenn Matthews, the CEO of the ARDC, which operates Sydney Motorsport Park. Here's what he had to say when he was asked about the Speedway coming to the Eastern Creek Precinct. Have um, the ARDC been involved in any of the conversations about the Speedway track that's being uh, proposed? Yeah, look, um, I attended a uh, a meeting with uh, the Office of Sport and also um, Metro, the, you know, people, the Metro people where the Speedway is currently at uh, prior to Christmas and I participated in a, a workshop for that. Um, my understanding is, you know, and I know they've been going ahead with the planning right now and my understanding is that they're getting close to completing the precinct or the draft of the precinct master plan. So the workshop we had was to was to get everybody's views or the stakeholders' views of what was important for the precinct and um, and um, you know what opportunities were there, what were you know what were the threats, what were some of the negatives that people saw, and uh, and then from there they would come up with a draft precinct master plan and then present that back to us. Um, uh, I guess coincidentally, I've only just answered some questions in the last day about some shared parking, uh, and uh, I'm expecting or I'm told that we should be in a position to have a uh, another uh, another meeting with all the stakeholders to review that master plan within the next month or so. Does the proposed speedway impact on any of the ARDC's growth plans for Sydney Motorsport Park? Does it? affect land that you might have had earmarked or that was your land already? No, it's, no, it doesn't. I, I think, first of all, so, so first of all, to answer that question, the speedway will be completely contained within the land at the moment that is part of the track strip, uh, so, so, so our neighbours next door. I think overall having the speedway in the precinct is fantastic. I think that what it will do for everybody, for all of us, so whether the drag, uh, the drag strip people, the speedway people, or ourselves. It, what it does is, is puts everything together and creates, you know, what really should be an absolute motorsport mecca and a place of excellence. Uh, and and with that comes, you know, additional additional infrastructure from government where they're going to upgrade the roads around there. You know, we'll take an attitude, you know, uh, where we can share a lot of facilities. So you know, at the moment, as you know, when we have big events, we use the drag strip. For um, for some parking and then run shuttle buses and and that that'll be vice versa. There's no reason that we couldn't even share grandstands. I mean, if you go to Silverston, you know, a lot, most of their grandstands are actually transportable. So why would you spend you know millions of dollars putting on putting building grandstands at one particular venue when it might have, they might only be required you know for a few events each year? So you know, so ideas of you know, being able to keep costs down in infrastructure and, and having much more portable infrastructure and being able to share it. Probably LED LED signs and digital signs is probably another good example. I think the other thing is just having a look at it, the management of the overall precinct and being able to achieve sort of economies of scale um, and, um, you know, and have, you know, similar caterers and stuff like that. But I think more importantly, being able to look at, well, what are the opportunities to create great events across the whole precinct? So, you know, um, you know, 
people have talked about years ago of an event called the Triple Challenge. Uh, there's no reason why, you know, in a week that we couldn't ha- almost have our own festival of speed with Speedway and the drag strip and 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 you know and motor racing, both bikes and cars in the whole in the whole precinct. So I'm really positive and think it's a, I think it's a great thing for motorsport and I think it's a great thing for Sydney and New South Wales. So Dennis. Fascinating to see that it does look like it's going to be a collaborative approach and that they, at this stage, all the different disciplines of motorsport want to work together on achieving uh, a real uh, proactive motorsport precinct there at Eastern Creek. Well, that's that's a positive. There's no question. Um, I mean, in all of this, since since day one and and the proposed new track and where it was going to be built near the dragway, etc., 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 involving the ARDC, involving the West Sydney International Dragway, and we were hearing all sorts of things. Uh, the ARDC didn't want Speedway there. The drag racing didn't want Speedway so close to their venue if they wanted them there at all. Uh, it's refreshing to get another viewpoint and, and coming from the right places rather than uh, fact or fiction, so to speak, an innuendo. Um, so that was pretty insightful and, and very, I guess you could say, revealing in a lot of ways. It probably put to bed some of the myths. Yeah, it does. And uh, any of the naysayers, you can certainly point them to those comments by Glenn Matthews of the AODC to uh, enlighten Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. I would. Absolutely. Well said going to be interesting next week another sprint car race he's the south australian sprint car champion in luke dillon joining us on the show that will be good uh famous south australian racing family the dillons because gary dillon over the years very very successful in speed car racing state champion and a national name for a number of years and Luke's carved out a very, very good career himself, I might add. And, of course, he started his speedway career in Formula 500s. And one of the few drivers in any discipline of Australian speedway, be it cars, bikes or whatever, so to speak, uh, he's uh, won three consecutive national titles and he did that in Formula 500s. And uh, that's, I think, 1999, 2000. And 2001 or 2000, 2001, 2002, I haven't got the statistics right in front of me here, but certainly a hat-trick of Formula 500 victories, which was the springboard, without giving too much away in the in what he's probably going to tell us anyway. Um, um, yes, he, he, he was very successful in Formula 500s leading into sprint cars. Yep, so Luke Dillon up on the show next week. Dennis, always a pleasure to catch up with you here on Inside Speedway. Yeah, thanks very much, Craig. Always good to be here. Tune in next week for Drivers Week on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is produced by Thunder Media. Any reproduction, accounts, or descriptions of the program without written permission from Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Inside Speedway is brought to you by... P1 Australia, and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now.